The Derek Hunter Podcast for the, what the hell is it, the 27th of April, 2022. Happy Wednesday to you. I, am, of course, am the appropriately named Derek Hunter, and this is the Derek Hunter Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading, sharing, telling a friend and everything, rating and reviewing on iTunes, spreading the word, word of mouth, all that stuff. Thank you. I want to get to this quickly because I want to get the show on the road, but don't forget, There are pictures of the kids posted up there, and there's all sorts of things going on over at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast, where you can enter to win autographed books and uh, really help the show, quite frankly. Check it out. Derek, uh, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. Okay. Like I said, I wanted to get to this quickly, so let's get to this. There is a lot going on. There is a lot to talk about. And of course, we have to talk about the... uh, the thing that has the liberal media freaking out, you can tell just how, you know, when, when, uh, let me try and think of a good analogy here. When your favorite player or the team, like the all-star, the big man on campus gets traded from your sports team to another, you, you feel betrayed. That, that, that team is yours. That player is yours. You don't, you don't own a piece of the team. You don't own a piece of the player. You run to. And I was a kid. Kirk Gibson going to the Dodgers. Of course, he went to the Dodgers and hit one of the most famous home runs in all of baseball history off Dennis Eckersley in Game One of in the bottom of the ninth of uh, World Series Game One, where he could barely walk, let alone run. He hobbles up the home plate, and boom, clobbers a home run. Well, that was uh, 1989, I think. 1990, somewhere in there. Weird fact about baseball. Nobody knows what happened to that ball. Like all the baseballs in the world have come up for auction. You know, this person's this number home run, whatever. They've found a way to authenticate it. No one's even really claiming, as far as I know, to have had, to have caught that ball. But somebody caught that ball. That ball would be worth a fortune today. And in a time when everybody comes running out to sell everything they can get their hands on almost immediately, that ball is kind of, Never come to auction. Anyway, when Kirk Gibson left in free agency, he's like, that's, no, Kirk Gibson. And I batted left-handed when I, when we'd play strikeout, you know, where you paint the uh, strike zone on the, well, the strike zone was always permanently painted on the wall at the elementary school where I went. And there was a big blacktop asphalt thing there. And we, uh, we'd play strikeout, me and my friend Kevin, every once in a while, skip but usually just me and my friend Kevin. Everything was either a base hit or a home run. Every once in a while, we'd get a little more worked up where if it landed in a certain area, it was a double. If it landed, you, could do, it, you don't need to know the rules. We had very elaborate rules, though. And if you picked a team, you had to bat their lineup, and you had to bat the hand that the person in their lineup was. Now, if you were just simply a right-handed hitter, you had to pick a team with... Uh, a lot of right-handed hitters because if somebody is lefty or you'd have to, you know, put together, cobble together, know their their roster. We were collecting baseball cards, so we knew their roster. You had to uh, play players that were all right-handed if you could only hit. Well, I like to, to bat left-handed and right-handed, and so did my friend Kevin. So we'd do it 
all the way. And that when you were uh, playing the Tigers, man, you loved being Kirk Gibson. She'd emulate their stance, too. I remember Don Mattingly's stance, and Rod Carew was my favorite player. Uh, I'd emulate his stance, too, even though he was at the end of his career. But um, you'd sit there, and you'd be lefty and be Kirk Gibson. And then when Kirk Gibson left, he left for free agency. He wasn't even traded. It wasn't like we got something for him. It was if this sense of rejection for all of us. Kirk Gibson chose not to be in Detroit anymore. He chose it. Detroit wanted him. And he said no. Same thing with Jack Morris when he left. But uh, you sit there and you go, my God, they, they can't get rid of that. I felt so betrayed. How could Kirk Gibson do this? Now I get it. But at the time, it's like, no, this, the Tigers are my team. The Tigers are, the, Kirk Gibson is my player. And it's changing. Things are not supposed to change. It's that moment in childhood when you begin to realize nothing lasts forever. Nothing is permanent. Nothing, you know, it takes you many people leaving, and many, but you go, now you don't care. Oh, so-and-so left. It sucks because the team's going to be bad. But at the time, there was this sense of betrayal, this sense of, my God, what has happened? This isn't supposed to happen. This person is supposed to, that's not a uniform. That's a way of life. That's how these leftists have been reacting to Twitter and the news that Elon Musk has purchased it. This isn't. This is ours. This is our team. This is our thing. You're not supposed to have. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to change. No way. No how. No, it can't happen. What is going on? And they are leaving Twitter because of it. They can't handle the fact that other people will get to enjoy Twitter the way they've enjoyed Twitter. They really simply don't get that. They will not get that. And I don't, it's a, a really dangerous sort of mentality that the left has developed, that they are the controllers of the discussion in this country. Because in many ways, they, they have been. They really are. Charles Blow, who's a columnist for the New York Times, says, looks like I'm about to say goodbye to Twitter as well. I've been pulling back a bit from social media anyway. This will be just the push I needed to go all the way on this app. All right, leave, go. But don't pretend that you're leaving for some sort of high-minded reason. When Kirk Gibson left, like the reaction should have been, oh, that sucks, I wish he would have stayed, but they're paying him more. He wasn't, to his credit, going around, I, I feel as though I can contribute more and my skills will be better appreciated, and oh, by golly goodness, I feel like this is a better human being. No, he just like, they they offered me better deal. That was it. That's how the world works. If you don't want to be in a uh, on a website, on a social media platform, don't be. Nobody's forcing you to. But don't pretend like you own it, or somehow the idea of people being allowed to speak freely is why you're leaving. Well, they don't ever admit that. They say, well, it's the monster. It's a hate speech, the censorship. They project everything they're accusing the right of doing is what they have done and have been doing for the last number of years. I want to play you this clip from Ari Melber over at MSNBC. Ari Melber, by all accounts, is a nice guy. And I really got to stop saying that because I don't really care. The nicest leftist in the world, I'd still... 
media leftists in the world. I still want them defeated, destroyed, decimated. But everybody I know who's dealt with Ari Malberson, I know personally he's a good guy. He's, you know, he's a fair guy. He's not anymore. This was years ago, back, I don't know, probably five years ago. I used to have my friend Brian Darling on all the time. Now they don't because they don't have dissenting voices on MSNBC. Keep that in mind. How many liberals do you see on Fox? How many actual conservatives do you see on MSNBC? Do the math on that. At the end of the week, see which way the, the scales tilt. Anyway, Ari Melber, I don't know if he... I don't believe he lives under a rock. He may well live under a rock. That would be the only way to... Ex- well, he's supposed to be a smart guy. So that would be the only way to explain what in the hell is going on in this clip is that he just maybe because of an earthquake, a flood or whatever, has just escaped from underneath his rock. I look at it as, has this guy been, I don't watch MSNBC, but has this guy been held hostage for the last five years and just now has been released? Is that what's going on here? Because I don't don't understand how any human being with two brain cells to rub together could look at the situation on social media, especially on Twitter, and go, yeah, this this is fair. Listen to Ari Melber talk about what he thinks Elon Musk could do, what he fears Elon Musk could do. And in fairness, I'll I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He could be just lying because he knows his audience is stupid. He could just be. But what he is describing as his fear for the future for Twitter is exactly what's happened to conservatives over the past five years or more particularly since Donald Trump was elected president. It's exactly to a T what it is. And he is complaining, going, oh, Twitter could become like that. Twitter has been like this. It's just, you know, you don't really think of a despot as a despot if he's your despot, right? My example is always I hated Chris Chelios when he played for the Chicago Blackhawks because he was a hell of a defenseman and he made the lives of the Detroit Red Wings miserable. And then one day, lo and behold, he became a Detroit Red Wing. And suddenly he was my guy. He's like, that goon in Chicago is now my goon. Yeah, let's go. Get me that Chelios jersey. No, I didn't buy a Chelios jersey. I didn't buy an anybody jersey, but you get the point. Anyway, listen to Ari Melber seemingly emerge from a cave from five years uh, after five years of captivity you own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech philosophically clear, open-minded helper. I don't know. The Hunter Biden laptop story comes to Every story comes to mind. As somebody who has been shadow banned and throttled back for the past two years, I uh, it's amazing. Every time Elon Musk moved closer to owning Twitter, it seemed like the chokehold on my account was loosened up, you know, Tweets used to get thousands of retweets, and now they're getting tens of retweets. And then Elon Musk takes a 10% stake. And suddenly, I had another tweet that got like 12,000 retweets. Like, oh, hey, wait a second. Maybe the people who work in Twitter are going, oh, crap, we better, 
we better try and cover our tracks. I don't know. A follower count that was literally stagnant for a year and a half is now going up again. How does that work? How does that honestly work? I appeared on, uh, one time I was on Sean Hannity's show, and I've been on his radio show a few times, and uh, one time the subject of Twitter came up, and I pointed out that, hey, you know, I've been stuck on this, I've been shadow banned from this, and so they said, let's go, go follow Derek, at Derek A. Hunter, and my, my Twitter count shot up, and within three days, it shot back down to the exact same number, it was like they had a, they had a ceiling that they were going to allow, and that was it. Well, that's gone, weirdly, curiously. Uh, it's almost as though these people are worried about keeping their jobs. But Ari Melber, Ari Melber in that clip is describing the Hunter Biden laptop story. What if they don't want this information out there? What if they throttle it back? Well, what if they did? We don't have to hypothetical this, Ari. They choked the life out of the... Hunter Biden laptop story. They really did. They wouldn't allow it to go out. They not only suspended the New York Post for putting it up there and demanded that they delete it before they unlocked their account, they prevented anybody else from tweeting it. You could not tweet it. On Facebook, the same thing, too. The uh, there's What is this chart? Let me find this chart. But you look at the world that these leftists live in, and they don't, they don't see those things. Those things didn't happen because they didn't happen to them. It's a sign of a, it's kind of a sign of a sociopath, if you ask me, but it's, it's a sign of arrogance that the left can enjoy and can marinate in, as if it didn't happen to us, it didn't happen. And if it happened to somebody else who isn't us, they probably deserved it. They're probably bad people. I don't see what they're doing here. It, they shouldn't have had it. It is a sickness. It's an arrogance. Twitter, who is this? What does this guy do? A guy named Hillel Nuar. Nuar, I don't know. N-E-U-E-R. He's Canadian, I think. He's got the Canadian flag in his Twitter account. Popular tweeter. He's got uh, international lawyer, human rights activist, writer, executive director of the United Nations Watch. Talking about the left freaking out about Elon Musk buying Twitter. And he writes, if Elon could undermine the ideological diversity, equity, and inclusion at Twitter, which currently maintains, or I fear Elon could undermine the ideological diversity, equity, and inclusion at Twitter, which currently maintains a careful balance of 98.7% for one side. Yeah, Vox News and Recode, two left-wing outlets, went through the biggest tech companies in the world, or in the country, I should say, and looked up the contributions from their employees to politicians, to political parties, uh, people who have given $200 or more. That's what has to be reported. Now, Netflix, if you subscribe to Netflix, 99.6% of the money, and this is why Netflix is hemorrhaging subscribers, because they're also making the programming decisions and nobody wants to watch their garbage. Netflix is 99.6% of their donations to Democrats, 0.4% to Republicans. But right below there, Twitter got 98.7% of their donations to Democrats. That leaves 2.3% for Republicans or 1.3%, sorry. 
one point. It's worse than I thought. That is how sad this is. And now the left is going, what? Can you believe they might start treating us like we treated them? No, Elon Musk isn't saying that. We're not going to have any power. Elon Musk isn't a conservative. We don't have a say in that. All we on the right are excited about is we no longer have to worry that they're going to come along and stomp us out. They're going to come along and stomp us out. That's what they've been doing. They come along. They're like... uh, not squid game that wouldn't be a good analogy they're like random prison guards abusive prison guards you never know the guards walking through the yard and every day they punch three different people you're not allowed if you like recoil or anything it's a week in the hole you do anything you just walk around you mind your own business and as this guard meanders through if they want to punch you they punch you that's it that's kind of how conservatives have been on social media. It's not always the person screaming the loudest, causing problems or whatever, according to the left, uh, that is getting the punch. But somebody's going to get punched. And you never know who. And so that begins to impact the way you conduct yourself. Now, these leftists, they're not even going to have to live like that. All they're going to have to do is live in a world where we no longer have to worry about whether or not we're going to be sucker punched out of the blue. And they can't handle it. They hate the concept because they are not about liberty. They are not about the Constitution. They don't give a damn about free speech as far as it extends to anybody else who disagrees with them. But these leftists freaking out, uh, it wasn't... It wasn't just the the talking heads, by the way, on cable news, but they were, you know, the the weeble over at CNN, Uncle Fester is sitting there talking about, well, if you go to a party with no rules, would you go to a party? Nobody's going to invite you to a party, Brian. I'm sorry to point that out to you, but nobody wants you at their party. (laughs) Brian Stelter is so unpopular, his CNN Plus show was already canceled before the network was canceled. The network is supposed to go off the streaming air or whatever. This week is Friday, and his show, his daily show, they they stopped doing it. <laughs> they didn't even bother to do one this week. On his on his Friday show, there's a pathetic clip of him talking about, "Oh, we're gonna be here next week. Don't forget to tune in, all you subscribers, and all yeah, boys and girls of all ages. We'll see you on Monday." And then there's no Monday show because he's just an awful creature. He's just an awful creature. Anyway, uh, but it's not just the Uncle Festers of the world. It's not just the morons on cable news, although we have plenty of examples of of them as well. It is the so-called respectable media, the legitimate media, you see. NBC News. NBC News sicked a reporter on this story and it's amazing they uh this is how the liberal media works if a conservative does something and it's weird to say this because elon musk isn't a conservative elon musk isn't anywhere close to a conservative he's a an obama donor he maxed out to the obama campaign he is a he's a leftist okay but he just happens to be sort of an old-fashioned liberal who appreciates the concept of free speech, or at least that's what he's portrayed himself as. And that is what has freaked out 
everybody on the left. Oh, God, free speech. No, no, horrible. Down the line, 99% of the things, they would agree with Elon Musk. He runs a, he runs a freaking uh, electric car company, for God's sakes, saving the planet. Oh, our carbon footprint, blah, 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 blah. Under normal circumstances in a rational world, if the left were not completely insane, they would be ecstatic. They would be the biggest Elon Musk cheerleaders. I would say, you know, how many conservatives do you know who drive a Tesla? Think of it in those terms. I actually know one. One. Everybody else, no, not so much. But now it's problematic because he is at least pledging to return freedom of speech to a platform that was allegedly found to uh, foster freedom of speech. Anyway, NBC News, they always do this. They found a critic. They always interview a when it's a a story that is favorable to the right. They hunt down some left-wing lunatic critic in air quotes. We've got a critic here. And you sit there and you go, what the hell? Why why are they interviewing this person? How do they find this person? This is somebody who's like runs a rebellion, I think it's called Rebellion Pack or Revolution Pack, or radical leftist, a woman named Brianna Wu. She's run for Congress twice as a Democrat, wildly unsuccessful both times, but she's known on Twitter as being this radical leftist complainer, just an all-around bad person who lives to censor people. That is the quote-unquote critic that CNN found. Now think of the last time, or not CNN, NBC News found. Now think of the last time you saw an NBC News package where the you know, the story is favorable to Democrats, something they're pushing, and in it they say, well, critics have a different issue, and they actually interview the critics. Normally, if they do cite critics at all, they don't usually, but if they do cite them at all, they just talk about them. Critics are saying this, that, and the other thing, and then they just dismiss them. They don't go to some think tank expert who studies certain policies for a living and says, here's what the other side says. They don't do that. They used to do that. They don't do that anymore. But if it is a story that the right even mildly applauds, they will track down the most radical person ever. Now, I swear to you, well, actually, I don't know this is true. Let me look this up just to be safe because I um, I can't vouch for it. Brianna Wu is an American. She co-founded and blah, blah, blah. She's, yeah, all right. I guess she was a natural-born woman. I guess she's a, a what do they say, a cis woman. So, all right, the voice you're about to hear that isn't the reporter is allegedly, legitimately a biological woman. Um, but they find her, they interview her, because this is, you know, you wouldn't be able to find Brianna Wu if your life depended on it. If you went looking for critics of Elon Musk buying Twitter, about three million down on the list would be Brianna Wu. But if you are a leftist reporter who lives in the world of liberalism, 
you know Brianna Wu. You don't have to hunt for Brianna Wu. You probably follow Brianna Wu on Twitter and noticed her tweeting, whining about Elon Musk buying Twitter. So it's a natural step. This is just an indication of how it is that uh, how the media functions, the little bubble that they have created for themselves. Anyway, I've set this up long enough. Let's listen to this is NBC News, legitimate news source. And some critics are concerned that Musk's pursuit of free speech will collide with growing safety problems on Twitter, especially for women and minorities. Do you trust Elon Musk to make Twitter better for women? No, I I don't trust Elon Musk to make Twitter better for women at all. I, I just absolutely don't. If you're asking yourself if this is someone that's going to go to bat for people that are underrepresented, I just don't think that's going to be the case, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I just don't think it's going to be the case. First off, I would ask, why does Elon Musk have to make Twitter better for women? What The reporter there is somebody named Joe Ling Kent. Joe Ling Kent. And Brianna Wu runs rebellionpack.com. It's, you know, just a, a nice way to keep raising money off of idiot leftists who donated to her campaigns. But why does Elon Musk have to make Twitter safer for women? What, what, how about women make Twitter safer for women? There are block buttons. There is a thing called the mute button. I avail myself of, I don't give people the satisfaction unless they're particularly racist or violent. I, I very infrequently check my mentions, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, I avail myself of the mute button. If you block somebody, they can see that you've been blocked by them. And then they inevitably do a screen capture and go, well, so-and-so has blocked me. I usually just mute people. And they want to see my tweets and complain about them. And then knock yourselves out. I couldn't care less. I don't give a damn what you have to say, so I just mute you. And they don't have a clue that they're muted. Because why? Because it doesn't it, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. I'm blocked by plenty of people. You can get around the blocks if you are curious as to what somebody says. But I have some friends from high school who, good friends from high school who've followed me and I just know, they, you know, suddenly started tweeting at me these gripey, whiny things about the politics. And it's like, I thought we'd agreed not to talk politics. You want to take these snipes? You follow me. I didn't know you existed on here. All right. I don't, you don't need to follow me if what I tweet bothers you so much. But for some reason, they couldn't get over it. So I just muted them. They want to continue to get mad about what I tweet. Go ahead. I don't care. I just don't really give a damn. <laughs> so I'm not seeing their little snippy responses because it, it's toxic if you take this stuff personally. And it's, well, politics is personal. No, it's not. No, it's not. Adult human beings uh, can separate the two things. That's why I'm loathe to tell people what I do for a living because I don't. The second thing, it's like if you're, well, what do you do for that? I'm a doctor. Oh, all right. Well, when I move my arm like this, it hurts. Like, I'm sure the doctors are sitting there going, oh, God. I just, I work in the medical profession. What do you do? And I, I sell catheters. Oh, nobody has any questions. about. Nobody, well, hey, man, here, let me show you my catheter. And let me show you how it fits in there. And see if you got one in your bag of tricks that fits. But 
you don't get that conversation very I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just saying it doesn't happen very often. So if you tell somebody, oh, you're a writer, you're a radio host, you're this, you're a podcaster, you're the other thing, and you work in politics, they, I get it. I get it. It's just human nature because you're trying to make conversation. You go, so what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? Or what do you think about the other thing? And the last thing you want to do, if, you, uh, if you're a coal miner and you're down in the shafts and you're, you're banging out coal all day, and then you meet somebody at a bar on a Friday night. You're like, oh, thank God, I don't have to think about coal anymore. What do you do? Ah, oh, I'm a coal miner. Really? How, let me tell you, how do these things work? And describe in gory detail, you just don't want to do it. You just kind of want to be not what you do for a living when you're not doing it for a living. So have that. It's the same thing with doctors. Doctors, of course, have it a little bit better. <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing much more important work. Now, it wasn't just NBC News that is out there. They immediately find some leftist, no matter what, to uh, complain about it. NBC News, or uh, CBS News, Nora O'Donnell. Now, I'll have to try to remember this because I can never remember who it was that, uh, that anchors CBS News. I forget that CBS News has a, a news program. I don't watch any of them anymore but i know it's lester holt and uh, the hairdo hairdo david muir and now it's nora o'donnell over at cbs i think abc news wins in the ratings um just because they, they brag about it but listen to nora o'donnell report on elon musk they have a very big concern about what could happen now that the throttle has been the choker the chokehold has been taken off of free speech Tonight, the world's richest man, Elon Musk, is set to control one of the most influential social media platforms, and both lawmakers and Wall Street are waiting to see what happens next. The Tesla and SpaceX CEO is worth $268 billion, and now he'll take Twitter private. The outspoken billionaire says the platform isn't living up to its potential as a place for free speech. Some are celebrating the deal. Others are concerned a hands-off approach to content will make Twitter a haven for disinformation and hate speech. Musk has used the platform to bully critics and reporters who have written articles about him or his companies. The network has nearly 400 million users. <laughs> he has used the platform to bully how do you bully somebody digitally? How do you bully? I've been critical of Elon Musk in the past. I've been critical. I'll be critical of Elon Musk in the future. I have no problem separating Elon Musk, the guy who took massive federal subsidies to start his companies, and Elon Musk, a guy who's saying that he wants to return free speech to this online platform. It's the same person. It's two different issues. I can go, I agree with you on this one, I disagree with you on that one, so on and so forth. Sadly, so many on the left look at it and go, I can't, you disagree with me on this issue, I can't even know you. I mean, really? You can't, you can't know me at all because I disagree with you? I don't think that the seven-year-old should be able to permanently change their bodies and their gender surgically? I, you, okay. If that's if you believe that strongly in something, then uh, I'd say you're kind of emotionally and mentally unstable. But all right, go ahead. You you can't separate that and uh, you know everything else. We don't have to talk about those things. But the left can't. The left can't. Oh, he uses his platform to to bully people. Uh, 
No, he tweets his disagreements with the people who've written things that he believes are unfair about him. I don't think that is a scandal. It shouldn't be a scandal. It's never been a scandal in all of human history when somebody would write something. I'm listening to a a book on Hamilton right now. Hamilton, my God, that guy, he wouldn't let a single slight slide and uh, he would address and then he would slight other people. You just kind of got to let it go at some point. You kind of have to agree to disagree at some point, don't you? But leftists will not tolerate that. They claim tolerance. They will not tolerate that. And there's Nora O'Donnell saying this guy, he has been mean to his critics. He is this. He is that. Oh, it's going to make it a haven for hate speech and misinformation. Have you paid attention to the media in the past, I don't know, five years, Nora? You might want to work in it, so you might want to take a look at it. Just look up Russian collusion. You can do it right at cbsnews.com and see how many stories come up. And those stories will most likely have been proven wrong. The older they are, the more wrong they are. That makes them disinformation, misinformation. Care to comment on that? There are now emails circulating between journalists, quote unquote, and members of Fusion GPS saying, I'm writing this story about your Russian dossier. Could you fact check it for me and make sure I got everything right? It is collusion, collaboration. It is a planted story by the political operatives being fact-checked and edited by those political operatives. And the journalists who are doing it, who did it, weren't doing it, are still employed as journalists today. Let that sink in. Here it is. I found it. Franklin Forer. Franklin Forer. Forer? F-O-E-R. He... Uh, He's at the Atlantic. He's a quote-unquote journalist over at the Atlantic. Back in 2016, June of 2016, he was corresponding back and forth with employees of Fusion GPS, the firm that created the Trump dossier and uh, started this whole thing. And they they, uh, marketed it. Now, they're former quote-unquote journalists. They're all left-wing activists. And he says, uh, I am out of town this week, Franklin Four writes. I handed in a draft of the piece. Here's a copy. It's not at all edited, so forgive the rawness. I have no idea what my editor will say, but can you guys scan it for omissions and errors? And obviously keep it to yourselves. Also promise me that you won't use it as a prod to the competition, whoever they are now. Thanks for all your help. Will you please edit this piece? Fact check it for you. Make sure I've got your spin properly. (laughs) Now, uh, Peter Fritch over at Fusion GPS responded, your editors should say it's great. Jake and I will read it more closely and make some suggestions. This is not how journalism is conducted. Not how journalism is supposed to be conducted, actually. It's how journalism is conducted all the damn time. But this is, you know... Yet another example. Oh, we're worried about the public square. Now you're worried about more of this being exposed. You're worried about a lot more of this being exposed. You don't give a damn about free speech. You give a damn about covering your own butts and your own corruption. Period. End of story. That's all that she wrote. 
the freak out by the left over what's going on at Twitter, be it the major networks, be it the, the small people, the leftists on Twitter. It's really amazing to see these nobodies. There's a libs of TikTok, I think it was, had tweeted out this compilation of liberals on TikTok going, I've deleted my account. That is it. I've deleted my Twitter account. If Elon Musk is going to be out there, I'm done. I guarantee you every single one of those people would drive a Tesla if they uh, if they could. If they had the, the wherewithal, the means they would happily, gleefully drive a Tesla. I tell you one thing that's kind of funny that I appreciate, the UK Daily Mail. Twitter staff are told in emergency meeting that their jobs are only safe for six months until Musk completes his $44 billion takeover as they demand to know if they will be forced to return to the office. They're very upset in every way, shape, or form. None of them are, are you know, forced to stay there. They're free to quit and leave. But they had an all-hands meeting yesterday trying to get to the bottom of what does this mean? What does this mean? Have you ever in your lifetime, if you've ever worked for a company that's been taken over, that's been sold, you uh, you have to sit there and go, geez, am I, gonna, am I going to be able to keep my job? That's the concern. But... These people at Twitter, they're so pampered, they're so spoiled, they're so seemingly overpaid. And right there, you could probably start to, I don't know, cut some of the fat there. They're they're not worried about keeping their jobs. They're worried, they're wondering, can I continue to do my job in good conscience? With people not being censored, will I be able to continue to do my job in good conscience? And there are a bunch of... Overly emotional weirdos, to be perfectly honest with you. They've got a story, the the Washington Post. Twitter workers face a reality they've long feared. Elon Musk as owner. Why? How? What? Twitter employees reacted with shock and dismay Monday as a new reality sank in. Elon Musk, the world's richest man, free speech defender, and strong critic of Twitter, would be the company's new owner. If you're some mid-level coder, how would this... If you're not actively involved in the only thing that has to do there is uh, if you're not actively involved in suppressing speech on Twitter, what do you have to fear? What do you care? If your job is to, I don't know, verify people, if your job is to make sure the website doesn't crash, if your job is sales, you should have no, no problem. Your job won't change at all if you are actively in the business of silencing people because they refuse to conform with left-wing ideology, um, you should probably be concerned. (laughs) But no. On Twitter, in private messages, and in interviews with the Washington Post, employees feared uh, fear about Musk's $44 billion takeover Twitter CEO Parag Agarwal, along with the board's chair, Brett Taylor, held an internal town hall on Monday afternoon in which the leaders tried to assure anxious staff, but offered few direct answers. A central concern was that Musk would attempt to break down safeguards to protect everyday users that staff had built up over many years, according to the interviews and tweets as well as audio from the town hall obtained by the post. Now listen, these are these are adults talking about adults. 
allegedly. A central concern is that Musk would attempt to break down safeguards to protect everyday users. How do you protect everyday users? Protect them from what? Is there a roving band of hitmen out there? Is Twitter like the uh, Yellow Pages was in the movie The Jerk? Where that guy opens up the thing and he's like, oh, Navinar Johnson. All right, Navinar Johnson, you're the one I'm going to kill. Is that what Twitter is? Is that what we're trying to protect here? Be nice. I'd be in favor of it. Shouldn't have anything that is a source of uh, murder. But I don't think that's what they're talking about. In fact, I know that's not what they're talking about. What they're talking about is the idea, the 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 protection, the creation of safe spaces where people's sensibilities are not upset. And quite frankly, everyone needs a good kick in the sensibilities every once in a while, if only to make sure that there's still sensibilities. But also, you're supposed to be an adult. You should be able to handle it. And if you can't handle it, if you're not adult enough to handle it, repeated kick in the sensibilities will help you grow the hell up. But they're worried about, look, um, you were ordered by the people who ran the company before to create these so-called safeguards, which means just banning people, banning words, banning phrases, making sure certain things don't show up, making sure certain people don't get hurt. You're paid to do that. Now you're paid to do the opposite. If you can't do that, quit. It's pretty simple. Oh, no, this wonderful piece of code that I wrote, I must defend it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You have no meaning in your life if that gives you meaning in your life. Can we just say that? Are we allowed? To, I don't think we're allowed to say that. But somebody has to say that. You're a pathetic excuse for a human being if you look at code and go, I've made the world a better place because I have prevented certain words from being able to be seen by other people. Well, you know, you also created a, a way for people to mute certain words so they wouldn't see them if they are really bothered by it. You're, you're bothered by proxy on behalf of someone who either isn't bothered themselves or has not yet been afforded the option to be offended themselves because you have taken it upon yourself to act preemptively, then you're not safeguarding anybody. You're nanny-stating them. Now, this is what's funny. This is, again, when I talk about maybe there are a bunch of children working at Twitter. This is what I mean. I don't know how you could read this in any other way. Washington Post, some tweeted tear-filled emoji and memes of people having emotional breakdowns, while others told the Post they were too in shock to speak. Too in shock to speak. These are adults, and they're... I, I occasionally use an emoji, but mostly when somebody uses an emoji to me, and at most, I use, like, the thumbs up because it's just easy. Here, thumbs up, yes. There are emojis for every. They just Apple just created a pregnant man emoji because why? Because they're insane and our culture is in the toilet and we're denying reality and science at every turn. And so you got, oh, here's the pregnant man emoji. It just so happens to Elon Musk. I can't say what Elon Musk said, but Elon Musk tweeted out a picture of the pregnant man emoji next to a picture of Bill Gates in a, uh, a very similar sweater. This, the, the resemblance is striking. 
just put it that way. The resemblance is striking. But adult human beings who decide what other adult human beings not only can say, but can hear, can read for themselves on a social media platform were tweeting tear-filled emoji and memes of people having emotional breakdowns. And others said they just simply could Not today. I can't talk today. At Monday's town hall, leaders were vague in response to questions about future layoffs, changes to the company's approach to free speech and safety. It is not a safety issue. Words do not hurt people. Remember the old sticks and stones thing? And whether the company will continue to make money from advertising. Quote, I understand, I totally, totally understand that this is entertainment for some, one employee tweeted. But please understand that this is certainly not entertainment for me. Why am I supposed to care? It's not entertainment for you because you are not worried about your job. That's not why it's not entertainment for you. You are worried about the prospect of people being able to speak freely. They're worried, and the one thing that the left has made this all about is Donald Trump. The left has totally made this about Donald Trump. Will Trump return to the platform? Well, Trump has said he's not going to return to the platform because he's got his own platform. We'll see how long that lasts. He's got like 80-some-odd million followers if they restore his account. He would be... uh, Donald Trump loves an audience. I'm not sure he could resist the siren call of the uh, Twitter's fear. That being said, if I'm an investor in his, it's Truth Social, if I'm an investor in that, and Donald Trump starts tweeting there, I suspect there'd be a bunch of lawsuits. Unless he's just tweeting, go to Truth Social. I suspect it'd be a lot. I would probably sue it. Go like, what the hell are you doing? You're promoting a competitor. You took my money and you're promoting a competitor. But hey, what are you going to do? Now, the left is, of course, freaking out on many levels and every level because a rich guy did something. A rich guy did something that might not benefit them for once. For once. Usually the rich guy, billionaire, evil mustache twirler, leftist monopoly men are actually helping Democrats. They really are. If you look at the donor list there, the Democratic Party is the party of the wealthy. They have been. They always have been. They're par- Just look at any major city where Democrats swear to God, this city is wrecked with poverty and I will come in and I will be a champion for those. And I will make sure everybody... And you, you go back 10 years later, same person as mayor, Richer, richer, poorer, poorer, nothing's really changed. And they're going, I ah, was, uh, but it could have been so much worse if I weren't in power. You have to kind of sit there and go, how? But whatever. Representative Premier Jayapal, she is the uh, chair of the Progressive Caucus in the House of Representatives. It's kind of like being the brown shirts to the, Dem- to the Nazis, the progressives to the Democratic Party. She tweeted out just a reminder that from 2014 to 2018, Elon Musk paid an effective tax rate of 3.27%. The average working family pays an average tax rate of 13. It's time for a wealth tax in this country. It's time for a wealth. And you sit there and you go, the hell, Elon Musk, how did he, how did he pay only 3.27%? He actually paid a 27% 
income tax rate on his income between 2013 and 2014. According to ProPublica data, they didn't correct it. They didn't fact check Premier Jayapal. They didn't. You had to go and mine that information for yourself because they don't fact check Democrats. But the only way, how do you get a 3%? And how does Jayapal get 3%? She gets it because she counts as income his unrealized capital gains. Tesla stock increases. SpaceX stock increases, for example. Over those time periods, SpaceX became the method for the Americans to get to the International Space Station, along with a bunch of other countries, because Barack Obama killed NASA. So we're paying SpaceX. That's a huge company, and they're doing it quite successfully, and they're doing it much cheaper and more efficiently than NASA ever did. Good. That's what the private sector does. Also, Tesla has blown up in value. Elon Musk owns a lot of SpaceX stock and a lot of Tesla stock. So if let's just say his stock holdings in 2013 were $3 billion, and by 2018, they were $100 billion. Now, you take that and you add that. You say, well, he's made $97 billion and whatever his personal income is, whatever he pays himself through these companies. And you say, well, he's only uh, paid X amount of dollars in taxes, and he's gone up, he's gotten this rich in the interim. That's how Premier Jayapal gets it. But those stock prices are nothing. They are not real money. He can borrow against them theoretically, but you know people like Elon Musk don't get forgiven from like the left wants to do for student loans. If you borrow against them, you got to pay that money. You got to sell the stock at some point to pay those loans back. At which point, once you sell the stock, you've got to pay capital gains tax on it. If you have a, a stock you bought for a hundred dollars and you sell it for a thousand dollars, you have to pay twenty three percent or twenty seven percent, whatever the capital gains rate is. Um, on the $900, you got to pay that much to the federal government. Democrats want to increase that more. Used to be a hell of a lot more. Used to be upwards of 50%. So when you look at that, if you just sit there and you have a stock that you bought for $10 and it's now worth $100, you weren't taxed on that $90 because why? Because you haven't sold it. You have a stock. You have something that's worth something. You can't go to the grocery store and buy something with that stock certificate. You can't go to the car dealership and buy a car with that stock certificate. It is not real money yet. Until you sell it, then you get taxed on it. So that his worth, his value, his net worth increased significantly between 2013 and 2018 is not income. Premier Jayapal knows this. She's not dumb. She's evil. She is trying to lie about Elon Musk to advance her own political agenda. Yet Elon Musk is not calling for the frog-like Premier Jayapal, Google the pictures, to be banned from social media. Why is that? Because he believes in the concept of freedom of speech. Yet Premier Jayapal is trying to attack and is attacking Elon Musk because he is advancing the concept of freedom of speech. Now, this is a member of Congress who has sworn to protect the Constitution, which includes the Bill of Rights, which is headed, leaded by the First Amendment, 
which protects our right to free speech. Who's the bigger threat to democracy? Who's the bigger threat to freedom? The billionaire who says he's going to advocate for freedom of speech, not just in the United States, but around the world, which should theoretically scare the hell out of a lot of despots around the world. Or is the bigger threat to free speech the progressive left who views the American people and the people of the world being able to speak more freely no matter what they say as a threat to their monopoly hold on power? When you get to that answer, everything else becomes clear. This, I just want to remark quickly on the way that this has been portrayed, this Elon Musk purchase. Associated Press. Elon Musk says he wants to turn Twitter into a haven for free speech. The social platform has been down this road before, and it didn't go well. Now, social, it was maybe at the very beginning, and then the little social justice warrior class came out and said, we don't like this, this is a fan. I, words are violence. Words aren't violence, but words are violence. And people are saying words that we don't like. Please, please stop it. And you've got the ACLU actively. By the way, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos tweeted out yesterday that, boy, uh, Elon Musk, or somebody had tweeted, Elon Musk has uh, a lot of business in China. I wonder if China just gained a friend in Twitter. <laughs> so there it is. And you're sitting there going, what? said uh, some status about uh, Tesla. And he says, interesting question. Did the Chinese government just gain a bit of leverage over the town square? Now, what's funny is Jeff Bezos and Amazon have made deals in China like you wouldn't believe. The liberals are always guilty of what they accuse everybody else of doing. That's the it's, it's almost a prerequisite to be a liberal of any note whatsoever is to be a flaming hypocrite guy called Beckett Adams, who used to work at the Washington, D.C. Examiner. Now, he tweeted out, for more than 30 years, the Washington Post published uh, propaganda produced by China Daily, the official propaganda arm of the Chinese Communist Party, ads disguised as legit news. And they would. If you ever subscribed to or got your hands on a hard copy of the Washington Post every day, every once in a while, there'd be a special China section. It would say advertisement. You almost needed a jeweler's loop to see the word advertisement. But it would say advertisement. It would be all Chinese propaganda. It would look like a section of the newspaper. You wouldn't, If you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't know the difference, which is a testament to just how shoddy the uh, journalism at the Washington Post is. Between 2016 and 2020, the Chinese Communist Party paid the Washington Post $4.5 million for those sections. Those are the numbers that we know of. Jeff Bezos purchased the Washington Post in 2013. I wonder how much, and I'm just speculating here, asking questions, as they say, but I wonder how much of the, the business of Amazon and the cheap manufacturing and uh, supply chain issues and favors that Amazon enjoys in communist China 
are predicated not only on Jeff Bezos's you know, personal friendship and probably Chinese government investment in China, but how much is based on? Look, I can, I can run your continued propaganda in the pages of the Washington Post. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be lovely? How does that work? Does it work that way? We don't know. Because the Washington Post is a privately held company, and I'm sure Jeff Bezos would not even appreciate Well, he probably wouldn't care. He's 10 feet tall and bulletproof. He controls the Washington Post. So who's going to report on this potential conflict in that tweet? Jeff Bezos? He's not going to report on that. The people who work for Jeff Bezos? Absolutely hell no. The NAACP is very concerned about uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter. Why? Because free speech somehow threatens the NAACP. If If free speech threatens your organization, your organization should really step back and contemplate its existence and wonder whether or not it should continue as an organization. Now, the NAACP has been hemorrhaging membership for a very long time, so maybe it won't be around very much longer. But the statement from the NAACP reads, quote, Mr. Musk's free speech is wonderful. Hate speech is unacceptable. Disinformation, misinformation, and hate speech have no place on Twitter. Do not allow 45 to return to the plat 45, meaning Donald Trump, because the NAACP is nothing but an appendage a dangling appendage of the Democratic Party, a shell of what it once was, and they talk about disrespect all the time while they can't even say the former president's name because they know where their party loyalties lie, and their party loyalties override any of their mission statement, any of their mission statement. All those Democrats out there calling Tim Scott and Uncle Tom, Clarence Thomas and Uncle Tom, Condi Rice and Aunt Tom or Aunt Jemima or whatever the hell it is, Those people are, a lot of them, members of the NAACP. They face no consequences from it. That's probably the official policy of the NAACP. Do not allow Twitter to become a Petri dish for hate speech. All right, then ban the NAACP. Ban the NAACP. If if you're going to be held to these standards, let's make sure that we go back and we fact check every single tweet the NAACP has ever sent. I guarantee you it will not pass muster. I guarantee you that there are plenty of hateful things that, according to, since hate is in the eye of the beholder that the NAACP has sent out. Do you want to be held to that standard, NAACP? See, you do want to be held to that standard when your guys are the ones holding the reins. When your guys are the ones running the prison yard, you really are in favor of the guards. It's when the other guys get a hold of it. It's like all these people who... Barack Obama. Oh, Barack Obama, come on, man. Sign executive orders. To hell with the Constitution. Forget the legislative branch. Create the uh, immigration law out of whole cloth. Just do it. Come on. And there were members of Congress saying, please bypass us. Please bypass us. If we won't act, you must. And then Donald Trump comes in, signs a few executive orders. And what do those same little fascists do? They start screaming, going, oh, my God. He's bypassing. He doesn't have the authority to do this. Where does he get off doing these sorts of things? Well, history didn't start this morning, you dumbass. We know what you guys did. We know who you are. 
we see it. That's part of the reason they want so much censorship on social media is they don't want people to be reminded of their hypocrisy. They don't want people to be uh, to see what they really are, which is nothing but interested in naked power grabs. That's it. Sean King, who's described as an activist, he was... He's been legitimized by the mainstream media in so many different ways. He has uh, been caught in actual lies, just a really detestable human being. He's Rachel Dolezal with a penis. He's a white guy who pretends to be black, and uh, he keeps his hair cut really short so you can't see that he's got straight white guy hair. And his nickname is Talcum X. People have done real deep dives on his genealogy and his history. And he also raises a ton of money for nonprofits that don't seem to do much of anything if the published reports are to be believed. And he doesn't refute those published reports. He just doesn't comment on them. But he is a race hustler of the first order. He tweeted out, at its root, Elon Musk wanting to purchase Twitter is not about left versus right. It's about white power, because of course it is. The man was raised in apartheid by South uh, by uh, white nationalists. He's upset that Twitter won't allow white nationalists to target, harass people, target and harass people. That's his definition of free speech. And then Talcum X deleted his Twitter account. We'll see how long that lasts. But he deleted his Twitter account. Now it's kind of funny that Sean King, white guy quits Twitter the moment it becomes owned by an African-American, a confirmed African-American. Yes, Elon Musk was born in South Africa. That makes him an African-American. I hate to break it to you, and it's also kind of funny, but I do love these leftist freakouts. It shows you who they are. All you have to do is pay attention to what is going on, to what liberals are saying, All we do, all I do, is say, here's what liberals are saying. If there's audio, I play the audio. If if it's written, I read you what's written. Here's Elon Musk's statement, by the way, buying, upon buying Twitter, the freakout. This caused the freakout, in addition to his existence. Quote, Free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots, and authenticating all humans. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. That's it. That caused them to, I mean, if the guy, the lunatic who uh, did it for environmental reasons hadn't set himself on fire over the weekend protesting climate change, he may well have gone up to the Supreme Court and set himself on fire protesting Elon Musk buying Twitter. (laughs) It's just so damn funny. (sighs) Let's see, blah, blah, blah. Robert Reich, the four foot eleven. It's hard to say four foot eleven is an adult man, labor secretary, so angry, just compressed so much anger. In Napoleon Complex, maybe. 
says Musk and his apologists say if consumers don't like what he does with Twitter, they can go elsewhere. But where else would consumers go to post short messages that can reach millions of people other than Twitter? The free market increasingly reflects the demands of big money. (laughs) Of course, he tweeted that. He tweeted that. He's free to leave Twitter. He doesn't have to leave Twitter. Nobody is talking about censoring leftists. If you notice this, no one is talking about censoring leftists. They're talking about not censoring other people. And that is worse. That has caused the left to freak out. Nina Turner, who worked for the Bernie Sanders campaign, and she's uh, run for Congress. She was humiliated. She's a progressive darling. The left absolutely love her. She's got half a million Twitter followers. Elon Musk is a prime example of why unfettered capitalism is a danger to this country and the planet as a whole. He's not a genius. He's the product of generational wealth and a rigged system that sees billionaires as somehow more important than the average person. Dash, they aren't. (laughs) Now you can see maybe why the people of Ohio said we're not going to do this. By the way, not a single one of these human beings said a damn thing when Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. They couldn't care less. Didn't matter when Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. Billionaire. He was the world's richest man at the time, which is why I think Jeff Bezos is now tweeting about Elon Musk buying Twitter because, uh, well... There's a bit of jealousy. Let's just say penis envy is real. And it lives in a bald mansion. Um, well, mansions around the house, I, around the world. Plus, Jeff Bezos is just a, a hypocritical D-bag. That's what he is. That's who all of these people are. Not surprisingly, the American Civil Liberties Union has some issues with uh, Elon Musk as well. It's so pathetic. Reuters has the story. Elon Musk is, a, by the way, he's a member of the ACLU. He's a member of the ACLU. But they said, they told Reuters, quote, Twitter, uh, quote when, while Elon Musk is an ACLU card-carrying member and one of our most significant supporters, there's a lot of danger having so much power in the hands of one individual. Anthony Romero, executive director of the ACLU, told Reuters after the deal was announced. <laughs> a lot of, we want that power for ourselves. The ACLU during the Trump administration, because donations were drying up, because they were defending Trump supporters, announced that they would no longer take all free speech. They weren't interested in free speech cases if they disagreed with the sentiments of the case. Like if you said something the ACLU didn't like, they used to, they defended the Nazis in Skokie, Illinois. They were happy to look the the worst speech is the only speech that needs protecting. And that was what the ACLU did. They said, no, I will protect all speech because you had to protect the worst speech because that's the only way to protect all speech. And then the left has changed so dramatically that they started losing donors. And they said, all right, we'll no longer, we'll no longer do that. We will not defend speech we don't like, not progressive enough. And what happened? That money came back and more, which shows you what happened to the left. They were never really about free speech. It just They knew that they had to bide their time to come out and show the world who they really were. Of course, all these other groups, Amnesty, uh, this uh, 
Reuters story continues. Amnesty International said it was concerned about potential decisions that Twitter may make after Musk's takeover to erode enforcement of the policies and mechanisms designed to moderate hate speech online. Quote, the last thing we need is a Twitter that willfully turns a blind eye to violent and abusive speech against users, particularly those most disproportionately impacted including women, non-binary persons, and others. Michael Kleinman, Director of Technology and Human Rights at Amnesty International USA, said on Monday. They're very concerned. This is, again, another example. I love these examples. of This is going to ruin everything, especially these groups, especially these, most disproportionately to Meteor, the New York Times headline, Meteor to destroy Earth, wipe out all of human existence will be especially hard on women and minorities. Okay. <laughs> All right. There you go. All you have to do is look, ladies and gentlemen. These leftists will show you who they are eventually. It's not often when they get their way, although they do certainly do it when they get their way. They encroach, encroach, encroach on power when they get their way. It is when there is a pushback, when they've pushed Sadly, everywhere they push is too far, but they don't always get pushback from it. When they pushed to the point that there is a pushback, any kind of pushback, no matter how mild, they absolutely lose their minds and they go berserk. They go crazy. They sit there and they go, this is a threat to free. This is a threat to free. They're not concerned about free speech. It's a threat to people. Words might be said that will upset people. Well, if words are said that upset people and cause people to, uh, I don't know, freak out, have emotional breakdowns or whatever, that's good. You need to toughen up a little bit, for God's sakes. And if you can't toughen up, then just remove yourself from the gene pool, live in your basement, and cry all day. I don't care. Leave the rest of us alone. Just a couple more things about this Twitter thing, and then we'll talk about Ireland, Northern Ireland, committing suicide because of leftism. It's like one thing for one guy to set himself on fire at the... uh, the Supreme Court to protest, throw attention to climate change. Nobody remember some jackass set himself on fire and burned himself to death. Nobody goes, well, now I was against it. I followed the science and I didn't really believe it. But now that I saw that this guy set himself on fire, I've reassessed everything and I've come to a different conclusion. God, how pathetic. Uh, Jack Dorsey has endured the guy who co-founder. It's apparently the last man standing of the co-founders at Twitter. And he's going to get a $928 million payout. And CEO Parag Agarwal. Yeah, Parag Agarwal. The guy who said, well, free speech isn't a priority. We're more interested in protecting people. Yeah, you can go back to hell or wherever you're from. And uh, He's getting $39 million payout. All these people are getting rich. Don't cry for them. The people, if, you, if you're going to have any sympathy for anybody, worry about the people who, who are, you know, low-level worker bees who believed the garbage these people were spewing and thought they were making the world a better place. If you believed Parag Agarwal and Jack Dorsey, and you said, I'm going to labor here for less money because I'm making the world a better place, um, you get what you deserve. I'm sorry, I don't have any sympathy. And by the way, Jack Dorsey and his nearly billion dollars and Parag Agarwal is nearly $40 million. They're not going to you know, sprinkle that around They're not going to go, you guys, I was paid well enough. I was paid significantly to to do these jobs. Here, you guys take some of this money. No, he doesn't care. 
now I want to go to the radical reaction, the radical reaction of this. And it comes, of course, from Joy Reid and MSNBC. Joy Reid and Adnan Giragadanis. I don't know. This guy is, you would think I'd re- learn how to pronounce this guy's name, but it would show a level of respect for him that I just don't have. So I'm not going to learn how to pronounce his last name. If you want to play the home game and try to pronounce this, it's G-I-R-I-D-H-A-R-A-D-A-S. Giradahadas something or other. Enjoy read. He is he founded something called, I think, Inc. News. <laughs> I don't these I don't get where these liberals come from. Or why suddenly they're on the scene like, oh, this is a guy whose opinion we should definitely, the world needs to know. And you go, why? Well, uh, he founded Inc. News. What the hell is Inc. News? Well, I don't know. I don't go there. But he founded it. He once wrote a piece that appeared in Time magazine. So, okay. There are about 100,000 other people who've written things that have appeared in Time magazine. Do we need to know the thoughts and inner workings of all of them? No, we don't. But when you're a racist like Joy Reid, you need to find somebody else who's almost as racist, if not more racist than you are, and that is Adnan Giragadas. He's the one who said that uh, last week or the week before that uh, Elon Musk wanted to buy Twitter because he grew up in apartheid South Africa, sounding a lot like Talca Max, Sean King. He grew up in apartheid South Africa and... He wanted to reinstate that because he missed the apartheid. You just see that going. But it, where are these people? Where do they come from? What the hell's wrong with these people? And the answer is that, uh, I don't know, they were loved too much by their parents or not enough. I don't know what, what the answer is. I don't care. But when bad things happen to them, we shall be there to watch and revel. Joy Reid and Adnan were having a conversation about, of course, it all revolved around race. It all revolved around victimhood. It all revolved around the threat that free speech presents. And if your existence is threatened by free speech, uh, your existence sucks. Your, Your existence is never threatened by free speech. Let me just say that right off the bat. Your existence is never threatened by free speech. In any tangible way, your comfort might be, but your comfort is of no concern to anybody, nor should it be. So listen to Adnand and Giradis, Adnand Giradis and uh, Joy Reid yesterday. Elon Musk tweeted today, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. Charles Blow had already beaten him to the door and said, I'm done. Lots of people were trying to get on counter social today because counter social is actually moderated. It doesn't allow people to attack people. Do you see this as a tell that they can't recreate Twitter? Because Twitter, without us, without the regular people, isn't useful or entertaining to them. I think that's very true. And I I also think this free speech issue needs to be unpacked because like a lot of issues promoted by people like this, the actual thing they're saying is not the actual issue. The actual thing they're saying is not describing liberalism. Describing liberalism right there. The actual thing they're saying is not the actual issue. Yeah, that's everything the Democrats have to say. That's how the Democrats work. Oh, they want to protect people. They're very concerned about people's safety. So they'll cause a near riot and throw things 
and threaten to physically kill somebody who's going to say something they probably won't like because they're concerned about safety? Threaten somebody's life because you're concerned about safety? You're concerned about the way their words might make somebody feel, so you'll threaten their life? You'll threaten the lives of the people guarding them? You'll threaten the lives of the people who invited them to a college campus? You'll do that in the name of safety? You don't even have to think too hard about this stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Just look at it and go, this is this is garbage. This I flushed something with more substance than your average leftist. They weren't done. Um, so the actual issue, I think, they, there is a feeling that people like Elon Musk propagate, and it's certainly widespread on the fascist right today, that this is a time of censorship and control and suppression of ideas on the right by these social platforms and other institutions. Well, what's actually been going on is that there have been modest, pretty inadequate, modest, uh, slight efforts by some of these platforms to solve an actual free speech issue, which is that so many human beings feeling so unsafe and being so unsafe when they use these platforms, being bullied, being harassed, mm-hmm. being brigaded, being doxxed for the crime of being female or of color or both. Yep that you were actually drastically limiting the amount of speech out there because people just don't want to play in that kind of sandbox. And these platforms have understood that and have made faint, modest efforts Hmm. to address that by saying, let's not have as much Nazism on the platform. Let's not have as much misogyny and bullying. Let's still have a lot of it, but but less. Anyone's ever actually reported a tweet knows that it almost never still is shut down, but they've tried. And this is what's called censorship. Uh (laughs) Know what they never do. They never cite examples. For for them to be believed, who is harassed because they're a woman or because they're a person of color? Where are these people? Where are, those would be actually, where are they? Now, somebody who is a woman being argued with is not the same as being harassed because they're a woman. Someone who is a person of color being argued with, being disagreed with, being criticized, or even being made fun of is not being harassed because they're a person of color. Now, if you start throwing around N-bombs, okay, you can make a case. If it's provoked or unprovoked, if it's just you're just sitting there, you're checking your messages, and just out of nowhere, in response to nothing, somebody starts screaming, hey, woman, show us your boobs. Then you could maybe say you're somebody's being harassed because they're a woman. But that's not what these people mean. That's not how these people function. These leftists say that any criticism, any disagreement, any refusing to conform with a woman is because they're a woman. Anybody who's gay, if you disagree with them, as long as they're liberal, you're doing it, you're doing it from a place of homophobia. You look at, uh, what's his face? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Leah Thomas. If you say, look, men should not be competing with women in sports. It's unfair. They have a physical advantage. You're not doing that because you have any concern for the women. You're doing it because you're a transphobe. You look at Leah Thomas and you say, I hate that person because they tuck it back really far. I hate that person and how dare that person should not exist. 
when in reality you couldn't give a damn about Leah Thomas. You care about the girls he's beating by 38 seconds in the swimming pool and going, this is not right. This is not right. But everything has to be ascribed to that, and they will ascribe the worst... Mo- Unless, of course, you're attacking... You know, if you disagree with a gay person, as long as there's someone like Rick Grinnell. You can disagree with, uh, you know, Rick Grinnell all you want, and you can use homophobic arguments, arguments that you yourself have called homophobic. Look at what... Uh, or, or um, what's his name? Andrew Sullivan. Andrew Sullivan is a liberal, but on certain things, he looks at the left and goes, my God, you people are insane. And they will use homophobic attacks on him or attacks that they've deemed homophobic, but they're not homophobic when they're against somebody who is impure. When they are against somebody who is impure. They can call Tim Scott an Uncle Tom. They can call any black conservative an Uncle Tom, a sellout. Joy Reid can hold up pictures, uh, show pictures of black children with their parents at a bill signing event for Ron DeSantis in Florida, happily saying, thank God we are getting rid of this racist, critical race theory crap in our schools. I don't want my children to learn that they're victims and be told they're victims by people of authority. I want them to be told to embrace their potential and they can achieve anything. And you do that, and what do you get? You get called, implied Uncle Tom by Joy Reid on national television. Now, granted, it's national television. Nobody's watching, but it's still national television. I want to know what these kids are up to. Why are these kids there? Well, why don't you have some kids and worry about your own kids, Joy? This is who the left are. Conform or die. 100% conform. Bill Maher is of the left. If you remember what year, it might have been 2016. Bill Maher gave a million dollars to elect Democrats. He publicly pledged a million dollars. I think it was then because he was so afraid of Donald Trump. Million dollars. Let's see if anything comes up. Bill Maher. Bill Maher makes $1 million PAC country. It's 2018. All right. He wanted to get Dems into the Senate. He wanted to take it. Oh, once Donald Trump was in there, he lost his money. He gave a million dollars, which is more than any of these Democrats out there whining and complaining about Bill Maher when he says, you're going crazy. All you got to do is not be crazy and you can't do it. And they go, oh my God, Bill Maher is a sellout. Bill Maher is the problem. Bill Maher is this. Bill Maher is that. The guy gave you a million dollars for your cause. What have you done? Knocked on doors? You sent some tweets? You posted some Occupy Democrat memes on Facebook? And you think, oh, I'm so pure. Because you don't think for yourself. If you don't disagree with somebody, if you don't disagree with a politician, if you don't disagree with a party, you might as well not exist. If there's nothing on which you disagree, and if you look at the left, it is way more common over there. The absolute loyalty, fealty to the agenda, to the agenda that most of them don't even know about is absolute. Find me a moderate Democrat in Congress. Find me some, there are, what, three, four 
They're not even really moderates when it comes to policy. The Joe Manchins and Kirsten Cinemas of the world, they're liberal as the day is long. They just don't want to disarm themselves. They recognize what's coming down the pipe. They look at the polls. They listen to their constituents and they say, my God, we're going to, if things don't change dramatically, we're going to get our ass handed to us in the fall. So we're going to be in the minority again. If we right now strip out from the United States Senate every single right of the minority party, we're going to have to live under that. It's all well. If you really enjoy soiling bed sheets, if you really enjoy you know, using a bed as a toilet, you're probably not going to use your own bed. You'll use other people's beds. But when it's like, oh, uh, now I'm locked in the room, I'm going to sleep and I'm going to go use the bathroom. Why? People destroy other people's property. They very infrequently, unless there's a mental disorder, destroy their own property. Why? Because it's their property. They recognize they're going to have to live with that. If you soil your own bed, you're going to have to live with that. You're not going to be able to do laundry until you're... What are you going to do? You're going to sleep in that? Now, if you're mentally deficient, you have no problem with that. But if it's just your kink and your, your what you enjoy, you can control yourself. You won't do it to yourself, what you did to other people. That's where the left lives. That's who these people are. Oh, no, you can't, you can't say these certain things. Everybody's a racist. All these fascists, all these Nazis out there are using hate speech. Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Adnand is calling everybody else a Nazi love speech. Did I, did I miss another one of those memos? is accusing everybody of being racist, is accusing Elon Musk of wanting to recreate the apartheid state in which he grew up, somehow love speech, Adnan? Is that that what we missed? Is that where we are now? If you could just update us on everything. Now, these are the people who are continually rewriting the dictionary. Not to make communication more precise, but to make communication almost impossible to make communication more difficult because if we can communicate with one another and we communicate honestly and openly we might learn some things we might change some minds nothing scares the left more than that now i want to play the last clip of uh, joy reed and adnan Gevragandandas. Just to show you who these people really, they show you who they are. Just pay attention. Elon Musk lives in a world in which the only kind of free speech is white men feeling Mm -hmm. free Mm -hmm. to say whatever the hell they want. And what he doesn't understand, what a lot of those folks don't understand is speech is actually freer when everybody, everybody not only has the opportunity to have an account and able to afford a phone to be able to tweet, but can feel safe. Uh, can know that they're not going to get harassed, can know that they're not going to get outed, can know they're not going to get piled on by the kind of astroturfed uh, stands of some very rich man. Uh, And this future in which there would actually be more abundant and equitable speech terrifies the crap out of people like Elon Musk. (laughs) Speech is actually freer when everybody can have an account. Okay, Uh, no, duh. But the problem is people are being banned essentially for disagreeing with the idea that a woman is a woman is a man is a man but that's not that's different because you got to feel safe too you got to feel safe and what is this speech is freer when everybody can afford a phone 
uh, advocating for everybody giving a phone. If you, if you can't afford a phone or you don't want a phone or you don't have a phone or whatever, maybe focus on being able to come up with 40 bucks a month to get a phone rather than worrying about how you can't whine about how you're a victim on social media and line up with the left-wing mob. Just saying, just saying it. But this is what passes for intellectual discourse over at MSNBC. Now we'll shift it up. I'm sure there'll be more freak-out news tomorrow. But now we'll shift it up and talk about suicide of just an economy of a country. Uh, You sit there and you watch these environmentalists set themselves on fire and people going, well, he was just very dedicated to the cause. I maybe could get it if that guy Bruce or Win Bruce, I guess it was Win Bruce, not Bruce Win, Win Bruce. If uh, I could get it, if he was like on the verge of death right now, congenital heart failure or whatever, and it was over for him, but uh, he decided to go out with this. Not just some fifty-year-old who decided for the cause he's going to burn himself to death. Like what? How stupid are you? How crazy are you? Well, it turns out if you're dealing with leftists, it's crazy. There is no bottom to their crazy. The UK Guardian. Headline. Northern Ireland faces loss of one million sheep and cattle to meet climate targets. What? Northern Ireland's assembly, Northern Ireland Assembly's first climate act will be to require the farming sector to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2050. I mean nearly impossible, but the left doesn't really care. If you watch California destroy itself in the name of the environment, they're trying to mandate that every car be sold in the state of California starting in 2030, which ain't that far away, be an electric car. Like, oh, we're going to be so green. And then you look and you go, wait, it's 90 degrees and you have rolling blackouts in California because you can't supply enough power because you won't let anybody dam a river and you won't let anybody build a nuclear plant. You won't let anybody build a coal-fired plant. You just have vast expanses of windmills and vast expanses of solar panels and they're not able to generate enough electricity for everybody, but you're going to mandate even more electricity use in eight years. Good luck to you. Good luck to you. If they weren't part of the United States of America, I'd laugh even harder, but we're going to have to bail them out at some point. But to California, I tell you, the stupidity is like a cold on a plane. It spreads everywhere. Back to the Guardian. Northern Ireland will need to lose more than one million sheep and cattle to meet its new legally binding climate emissions target, according to an industry commissioned analysis seen by the Guardian. The large scale reduction in farm animals comes after the passing of the jurisdiction's first ever climate act requiring the farming sector to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2050 and reduce methane emissions by almost 50 percent over the same period. (laughs) Kill your food supply for the planet. If somebody said that, you'd expect somebody standing on a street corner with an end is nigh sign screaming that at passersby. Not an official government action. About a third of human-caused methane emissions came from livestock, mostly from the burps and manure of beef and dairy cattle. 
An analysis by KPMG commissioned by the industry representatives, including the Ulster Farmers Union, estimates that more than 500,000 cattle and about 700,000 sheep would need to be lost in order for Northern Ireland to meet the new climate targets. Now, just to differentiate, this is Northern Ireland. This is the part controlled by the British. This is not the Republic of Ireland where the sane people live and they have self-determination. It is really jarring. I absolutely love Ireland. Um, and you'd go from so, like I, the Republic of Ireland to Northern Ireland. You start seeing the Union Jack everywhere and you've got to pay in pounds and all of that. It's very, very bizarre. Uh, it's a different world. It really is a different world because the people in the South, well, the troubles I suspect will return, especially if they start imposing garbage like this, because this will start causing food shortages, not in the near future, but longer, longer term. Separate analysis by the UK government's climate advisors suggest chicken numbers would also need to be cut by 5 million by 2035. Both the pig and poultry sectors in Northern Ireland have seen rapid growth in the past decade. Yeah, good economic growth. People are eating. No one's starving to death. Something the island of Ireland knows a little bit about. You would think they would not take measures to cause potential food shortages themselves again now if you think this is just northern ireland you're wrong the left the environmental left is pushing this sorts of garbage legislation all around the world they're being successful because who wants to destroy the what politician wants to destroy the planet they're all doing something stupid and destructive under the guise of this will help us fend off disaster in the future. They're creating disasters under the guise of the argument of this will stop us from having to face disaster in the future. It's wildly stupid. It's akin to, if I can think of another analogy here, I had a good analogy at the top of the show, so it'd be tough to come up with another one. But if you're looking at it, it would be as though you're planning your retirement on winning a lottery, winning the lottery, and you start spending accordingly. You start obligating yourself, spending accordingly. Well, my plan is at age 60 to win the lottery. So if we, uh, we can probably buy that house a little bit now, not thinking that at 80 your income might be a little bit lower than it is presently. And so you probably might not be able to afford that mortgage at age 80 that you could afford at age 40. No, don't worry about that. And you start living like a rock star because you're going to win the lottery in 10 years. The odds are against you that you're going to win the lottery in 10 years because I guarantee you that at 20, you were probably thinking of ways to spend your lottery winnings whenever there was a $100 million lottery jackpot and you spent a dollar on a ticket. Everybody has those thoughts. Very few people win the lottery, but everybody who plays it has those thoughts. Hell, even people who don't play it have those thoughts. So you don't start making plans. You don't write uh, checks. Your mouth doesn't write checks that your butt can't cash. And you should not write or plan ahead for things that haven't come to pass. The environmental movement has been predicting doom and gloom for the better part of a hundred years. The only difference is 
People didn't listen to them in the 60s, not the way they do now. People didn't listen to them in the 70s, not the way they do now, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Now they run a political party. Now they run the Democrats. Now they run the White House. People are listening to them and making decisions based off of that lunacy. Same goes for the rest of the world, where they're going to get rid of and decimate half of their food production, their meat production, in Northern Ireland to appease the gods of a future that there is no evidence that these people predicting doom and gloom will ever come to pass. 1989, we were told we had 10 years. 1999, we were told we had 10 years. We've had a lot of 10-year chunks and nothing that they have predicted has come to pass not even close. We aren't really even inching toward it. And all they've done is go from making 10-year predictions. They stopped making 10-year predictions, not because they can't, not because there's something preventing them from making 10-year predictions. They stopped making 10-year predictions because there were far too many people living those 10 years going, wait a second, we're not all mermen. Wait a second, we didn't all die. Wait a second, this didn't happen. All the doom and gloom you predicted, Al Gore, didn't come to pass. And they got sick of people raising their hands and going, you said 20 years ago we only had 10 years. Now you're saying we only got 10 years. What's the deal? They stopped making projections. They didn't stop making predictions at all, though. They now make 100-year predictions. Why? Because that guy who raises their hand, they're going to be dead. No, everybody's going to be dead by the time the 100 years pass. So they'll go, hey, uh, in 100 years, the whole world's going to come to an end. Oh, no, we must act now to prevent that. You can't prove that anything will happen in 100 years. But more importantly to these leftist lunatics, you can't disprove it either. And that's what they're all about, because it gives them power. The story of the suicide of Northern Ireland agriculture accounts for about 27% of Northern Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions. The vast majority comes from livestock. Its heavily export-driven meat industry principally supplies Great Britain, but it also exports to China and North America. The country's principal poultry processor, Moy Park, a subsidiary of the Brazilian meat giant JBS, has grown into one of Europe's biggest such firms and Northern Ireland's largest company. Well, it is amazing to me that these people are just going to go, all right, well, they passed a law. Did they not study this beforehand? The spokesperson for KPMG said, quote, under the Climate Change Act's net zero target, we have assumed that beef and other cattle, dairy and sheep, do most of the work to decarbonize due to these section uh, sectors accounting for the largest livestock-related impact on Northern Ireland's carbon emissions. Both the pig and poultry sector have a minor impact on agricultural carbon emissions, 2% and 1% respectively, and therefore any effort to decarbonize can be assumed to have a minor impact on total carbon emissions. If you look at the evidence at the life cycle of greenhouse gas emissions, the red meat livestock resources, dairy, beef, sheep, have the highest emissions because they're ruminant and they have the highest methane emissions. They're ready to decimate their beef industry. What do you think that's going to do to the cost of beef? What do you think if you do this on a large scale, that's going to do to the cost of beef around the world? 
more and more countries going this way? What do you think it's going to do? Do you think it's a coincidence that we've been seeing what? Story after story after story saying, get used to eating bugs. And there's nothing wrong with eating bugs. And hey, everybody, let's eat bugs. And you sit there and you go, I'm not going to eat bugs. What the hell are you talking about? There's beef available. Nope. The beef will still be available if you make enough money. There'll be so little of it produced relative to what we're producing now that Biden's inflation will seem like a walk in the park. But eventually they'll get rid of as much of it as they possibly can, leaving the plebes to eat the Soylent Green. Eat Soylent Green. It's made of bugs, not people. It's made of bugs. Honestly, Bill Gates is telling people that we need to switch to eating insects and lab-grown meat. Lab, Forgive me if I... Look, a, a, a diet of nothing but red meat is probably not the healthiest thing for you, but I would take that over the prospect of eating lab-grown meat any day of the week. I've tried those uh, Impossible Whoppers. They're not terrible. They're not bad. They're actually pretty good. If you get enough, I like pickles. If you get enough pickles and onions on a burger, even a bad burger tastes good, in my opinion. But that's at least plant-based. It's not, all right, let's just mix up some stuff and Petri dishes, set it under a grow lamp and see what happens. Maybe we can get Mikey to try it. What does that taste like, Mikey? All right. All right. Well, good. He says it tastes like meat. Well, they start manufacturing it. What they don't do is go, let's watch Mikey for 20 years and see what happens if he subsists on a diet of this lab-grown stuff compared to normal people who eat things. <laughs> it's, so if you've seen this, uh, speaking of environmental nut jobs, there is this weird video out there that was released by the White House. I would have thought that this would have been opposition research, but it was released by the White House. It is incredibly creepy. It's Joe Biden standing in the woods like a serial killer talking to Dr. Susan Pritchard. They call her, the White House says uh, this is the tweet from Biden's official POTUS account. I had the opportunity to seek to doc speak to Dr. Susan Pritchard, a fire ecologist to discuss the climate crisis. We talked about the executive order I signed yesterday, which strengthens America's forest, boosts wildfire resilience, and combats global deforestation. It's crap. It does nothing. You need to uh, clean out the, the garbage in the on the, the floor of the forest if you really want to stop forest fires. But it's the two of them standing in the woods somewhere. Very bizarre. Probably up at Camp David, if I had to guess. They whatever the hell a fire ecologist is. They had to import her up to Camp David. Now, the whole video is 37 seconds long, but Joe's standing there. He's like got his finger in his nose. He's rubbing his nose. He's got his hand in his mouth. He just, he's a child. He's a damn child. But they're about three feet apart. And then over the course of the video, Joe like grabs her hand, starts inching closer. It is... It is what you'd do if you were going to go in for a kiss. You really Now, this woman, Dr. Susan Pritchard, Lord knows how long she was stuck in the woods with Joe Biden. She's having a, a 
conversation, she's kind of casual. They're standing a normal distance apart that you might be having a conversation with a human being. And as Joe shifts his weight and picks his nose and goes up in her, and he ends up grabbing, he's coughing into her hand, into his hand. He's got his hand on his lips. He's got his hand in his nose. And then he uses that hand to grab her hand because he's just uncouth and gross. And then he leans in and he whispers to her. She, in the course of this video, goes from being relaxed to being a board, to being as stiff as a board as Joe Biden leers in and creeps in and gets closer and closer. The only thing missing from this video, and I imagine it was cut out, was Joe Biden leaning in and going, said, Prell, what do you use in your hair? No, wait, is that uh, is that green apple suave? God, I love green apple suave. That's what this video is. He's out in the woods. It's like a serial killer training video. And there's the president of the United States. <laughs> what about my, tell me about my executive order. Tell me how wonderful my executive order is. Like, you, you pervert. This poor woman obviously feels um, uncomfortable, to put it mildly. She feels uncomfortable as this guy is touching himself. There's a lot of edits, a lot of edits. Lord knows how many takes this took. And if this was the best they could cobble together out of all this, but he's rubbing his nose and he's rubbing his mouth and then she's grabbing her hand and like, as soon as they yell cut, she's got to go, please somebody throw me into a vat of Purell for the love of God. Where is Win Bruce when I need him? I just warm my hands by his lovely fire and maybe sterilize it that way. This is what the Democratic Party is reduced to. This is what they've become. A creepy old dude in the woods. <laughs> a creepy old dude in the woods hitting on a woman. Meanwhile, here in Maryland, they're very excited. There was a story. Maybe we'll get into more of this tomorrow. The baristas at a Starbucks in the neighborhood I used to live in, in Mount Vernon have unionized <laughs> congratulations i guess i don't know imagine if you had worked as hard to you un- to improve your lot in life to get a better job as you did to try and unionize your mount vernon starbucks you probably wouldn't be a barista still you might be you know something you'd be proud of but nope Not many places are hiring people with a whole bunch of piercings and face tattoos. Anyway, we're out of time for today. I appreciate you listening. Have yourself a glorious day and be back here tomorrow for another exciting episode. We'll do it all again.